0: all right up on the board tonight i've got some key key verses if you want to write these down or um, take a picture of those whatever you want to do those are just some verses that deal with the topic that we're talking about you're not going to see those in any other place i'll reference some of them tonight but uh, there they are for you and then also over here are the two passages we talked about last week memorizing genesis 1:31. god made things good all right just simple as that you can you know, quote that as you'd like according to your version, but the idea is that what God made was good. All right? And then Psalm 19:1, the idea is that God has declared in all that he created, the expanse that he created, himself. You can see him. He declares himself in his glory in all that he's made. There's a design behind what he's made. So these two f- f- verses, these two, first two verses come from uh, this little life conversation guide, three circles guide. Some of you probably have this. How many in here have seen this, have, have a copy of this? Okay, we'll make some more available as the weeks go on. Um, the first page of this talks about how everybody can readily recognize there's brokenness in the world. That we can look around and we can see that things are not right. Something's wrong in the world we live in. And the next page talks about, but you can also tell that there is a design in the world. And the design reflects that God has made all things and he made them good. That he has declared who he is and his glory and his goodness in the expanse, in the creation. You can see evidence of God's intent, his purpose, that everything functioned together rightly. And something's broke it. Okay, so I've given you the first two verses that appear on the second page. And then for this week, you'll memorize the next two verses that appear on the next page, and we'll keep talking through this so that we get this down, we have the verses memorized, and we can walk through it even on a piece of paper. All right, so the next two verses you'll look at this week are Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and that's what that's coming from. There's a purpose here in what we're doing, all right? Also, I have a handout tonight. Um, that is available I've only made 25 copies these this is this is for those who have no access to our website or you don't like to get on the website and figure things out so if there are 25 in you, of you in here like that this is for you the rest of you have access to our website the video of this tonight will be posted on the website And along with that will be this handout that you can download from our website. So to make it easy for everybody. But if you don't like doing that, I've made copies for you. If we run out because all of you don't like that, then I'll know to make more copies next time. All right, so last week is online and you can catch up. Last week's information that I gave out at the end, What to Believe, Next Steps to Take, that's in a a form of a handout on our website. And so you can get that in written form Um, from last week all right so that's what you've got there and i'll put these on the front pew here i want to do a little bit of review before we jump into some new material and i want to remind you of our key definition that a disciple is a follower of jesus christ who joyfully pursues experiences of a relationship with jesus christ it's characterized by vital involvements in a community of believers that results in a reproducing or disciple making lifestyle and you can see those three critical components or those three key concepts relationship with Jesus Christ experiences of a relationship with Jesus Christ it's characterized by an involvement with a community of believers there's you're, you're, you're getting involved with people who are following Christ and and a relationship with Christ and involvement in this community results in a disciple-making lifestyle, a reproducing lifestyle. OK, so that's the definition that we're working on. Those are the three key concepts that we'll keep visiting throughout our entire time together. So I want to remind you all of those two things. Now, <clears throat> under the experiences of a relationship with Christ, there are three components that we will talk about as we go. One is Bible reading, one is prayer. And one is stewardship stewardship is making sure that you spend your time and your abilities and your possessions in a way that reflects you have a relationship with jesus christ so you're living under authority you have decided god's authority is good and right for my life and so with all that i am i'm going to pay attention to what he says all right so those are three components we'll talk more in depth about that tonight um, specifically and then under vital involvements in a community of believers the areas of involvement you can think about it in terms of hours of your week now i know it doesn't always end up to be one hour but uh, think in terms of the hours of your week so the community of faith that you're involved in the vital involvements number one corporate worship that's your first hour involvement all right number two hour is service i mean i'm sorry small group experience a small group experience that's your second level of vital involvement in the community of faith where you're gathering in a smaller group with other believers third hour is some kind of ministry service you're giving your life away within the body for the sake of the body all right and then your fourth is a lifestyle where you're seeking to reach others for christ by loving them serving them going to them telling them all the things that lord wants us to do in the world in which we live so those are the four vital involvements of the community of believers all right and the disciple making lifestyle is what we're focusing much of our time on together all right let's let's jump into some stuff together tonight um i i s- excuse me somebody say something i guess it's just the echo in my ear all right uh, I'll never forget the first time that I was fortunate enough to go flying with my cousin he had learned to be a pilot and he had use of a Cessna 152 that's a small two-seater and uh, so I went up there. there is the first time that I went up at night and that's a little bit nerve-wracking to go up in a small plane with your cousin who is a new pilot at dark, and uh, it was—I was a little bit nervous. But I'll tell you, when we got up in the air, and I began to look out and see the the world from that vantage point, I began to see the lights in a whole different perspective. Previously to going up, I would drive by towers that had the blinking lights on them, wouldn't think twice about them. I would drive by the airport there in Abilene, and Wouldn't think twice about the tower and the spinning light and the lights along the runway. It was absolutely um, irrelevant to my life. But that night, when I flew up in that plane, I was paying attention to every single light because for a pilot at night, those lights have amazing purpose. I'm praying that our time together would create for us such a vantage point that we would see that God has placed us where we live, when we live, to be a light in the darkness. Not a single person in this room is a blinking light without purpose. Perhaps we have not seen the vantage point we should see in order to be open to the perspective You are a light unto the world. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has made you a light to shine in the darkness. One that cannot be hidden. One that displays his good works. One that enables people to see through your life Jesus Christ in such a way that they can come to glorify God. That sounds like to me that God has placed every one of us where we live in the midst of the darkness to be a light, to draw people to him by watching what we do. By seeing us shine right where God has placed us. And I'm praying that as we continue through this study that our vantage point would give us ability to see like never before. And I hope you'll join me in that prayer. Asking the Lord... To give you eyes to see tonight i want to answer a couple questions the first question that i want to answer is what does a disciple do what does a disciple do so tonight's going to be a little bit different than last week because tonight we're gonna we're gonna dig through a whole lot of scripture together again i want to create a theological foundation It gives you plenty to believe in. Coming off the the presupposition that a disciple is first about what we believe, not first about what we do. And so we're gonna talk through a lot of what scripture says in regard to the question, what does a disciple do? So the first thing the disciple does, number one, is follow Jesus. right Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 Jesus says to Peter and Andrew follow me and I will make you fishers of men all right so we know that Peter and Andrew become Jesus disciples right well how did they become (laughs) Jesus disciples they made a decision to follow Jesus Now what's interesting to me in that is Jesus says, if you will make a decision to follow me, that makes you my disciple. When you become my disciple, I will make you a fisher of men. So what does he say? A disciple follows Jesus, and by following Jesus, Jesus makes a follower a disciple maker. That ought to create a big sigh of relief for everybody in the room tonight. There's not a person in here that is responsible for making themselves disciple-makers. We are responsible for deciding whether or not we want to follow Jesus. And if we decide we want to follow Jesus, the Bible says he will make us disciple-makers. And what we've got to make sure that we do is continually put ourselves in a position for Jesus to make us disciple-makers. And that has everything to do with following Jesus Christ. All right? Disciples follow Jesus Christ because disciples hear the voice of Jesus. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. I want to read that to you. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight all right john ten one through 5 truly truly i say to you he who does not in, he who does not enter the door by the fold into the by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way he is a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep to him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the stranger's voice. So, disciples follow Jesus. And they follow Jesus because they hear, they're listening for the voice of Jesus on a regular basis in their life. They hear his voice and they respond. The rest of John 10, Jesus does some explanation on this picture that he's created between shepherd and sheep. And he emphasizes the reality that those who decide to follow Jesus hear the voice of Jesus. They hear him speak to them. They understand his direction. That's why it's so important that you become a person of God's word. It's critical. And we're going to talk more about that in a few moments. But followers of Jesus hear the voice of Jesus. Following Jesus means you totally follow him. Luke 14 is a great passage, verses 26 through 35. You totally follow Jesus. There is no way other way to follow Jesus but than to totally surrender and follow him. Jesus does not say, hey, follow me halfway and you'll be a disciple. No, Jesus has an expectation that he clearly communicates in the scripture, follow me with complete and total abandon or you're not following me. The only way you can follow me is if you totally follow me. So Luke chapter 14 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You hear that total surrender? The way we should look in terms of how we follow Christ should make every other allegiance and loyalty pale terribly pale in comparison the way i love christ should make my love for my spouse look like hate that's what jesus is saying it's everything you follow me it's everything verse 27 whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether or not he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one who's coming against him with 20,000? or else while other the other is still far away he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions therefore salt is good but even if salt has even but even but if even salt has become tasteless with what will it be seasoned it is useless either for the soil or the manure pile it is thrown out He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Does that sound like a casual invitation to follow? No. You're either all in or you're not in. Disciples follow Jesus and they understand it was an all-in decision. Another way to look at that is in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Disciples know that when they made the decision to follow Jesus, Jesus enacted a transaction. He bought you. You belong to him. You don't have the option of saying, I'd like to follow you halfway today because I'm just not up to it. No, you belong to Jesus. He bought you with the price of his blood. You are his. He has placed his deposit in you, his own spirit, guaranteeing that you belong to him and he will make good on his promise of securing you for eternal life. You belong to him. Following him is a decision to let him buy you and then he owns you and all you have there is not a thing that you have that is not subject to the dictates of Jesus Christ if you're a disciple because you've decided to follow him and he owns you he owns you alright alright the last thing under following Christ is that when you follow Christ it's only following Jesus Christ when you don't think there's an option to stop following Jesus Christ make sense ok here's, here's the verse for that Luke 9, 61 and 62 Luke 9, 61 and 62 so I, let, before I read that let me, give you, let me just tell you a little story of a, of a, a person that years ago I shared the gospel with and after I shared the gospel with him he said you know what I want to pray to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior I was fired up I was overjoyed we knelt down he prayed and uh, asked Christ to be his Lord and Savior and then I began to share with him things that he needed to do to walk with Christ and he began to do those things he began to tell other people about what was happening in his life and he was Reading God's Word and we were talking about every week and I was trying to help him know how to walk with Jesus and know the Lord. So that one day he could help others know the Lord. And we spent weeks and weeks and weeks and months together walking through all that. About six months later he came to me and said, I've given it a try. It's not working out so much. And so I'm not going to believe in Christ anymore. Okay, so what does that mean for him? Well... I don't know what it means for him but I do know this that you can't make a decision to follow Christ if you're just trying him out if it's just a trial run if you're just gonna see if he's okay dip your feet in the water and if it's not the right temperature I'm gonna go to another pool no see Jesus you don't get Jesus if you don't jump all the way in the pool It doesn't work like that. You can't just try Jesus out. It's either following him with no turning back or you haven't yet decided to follow him. And you can come in and you can check it out and you can hang out with the people of God. You can actually benefit from the blessings that God places among his people and look a lot like his people. But until you've made a decision to take the plunge, you've not yet decided to follow Christ. And there is only one definition for following. There are not degrees of following. I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those that, you know, goes out and talks about Christ all the time, and I'm not radical like that. What I want you to see tonight is there is no segmenting of following Christ into the radical and the halfway radical and the almost radical. No, it's I'm a follower. I'm either all in or I'm not in. Look at Luke chapter 9 verse 61 and 62. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Sounds kind of mean to me. He just wants to go home and say goodbye to his family. He's willing to follow, and Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me... You trust your family and what they need to me because I am the creator, sustainer of all things, sovereign over everything. I hold everybody in the palm of my hands. If your concern is chiefly for me, you will know that I will take care of your family. In fact, I may be the one that takes you there to say goodbye, but the first thing you've got to decide is whether or not you want to follow me. And if you put your hand to the plow and you say, "Mm, I'm not so sure after you put your hand to the plow, you are not fit for the kingdom of God there is one definition for following Christ and disciples get it and they've decided to follow Christ you feel the weight of that it's a weighty thing it's a weighty thing all right second thing first one is follow Christ next one is disciples again we're answering the question what do disciples do Follow Christ. Number two, they abide in the Word. Disciples abide in the Word. Romans chapter eight, verse 31 through 32. It's the first passage we'll read together. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him if you continue in my word or if you abide in my word then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free is there any promise that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free if you do not abide in the word no if you do not continue in the word See, a disciple decides I'm going to abide in and continue in the word for the duration of my life because I know that Jesus said that's what a disciple does and if I do what a disciple does then I will experience what a disciple experiences and a disciple here experiences the knowledge of the truth and the freedom of the truth. A disciple abides in the word of God. All right John 6:63 6, is the next one? John 6:63 6, says, "The spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life." A disciple abides in the word of God because a disciple understands that God's word is life." that he breathes into us life through his word. So a disciple abides in the word. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, I referenced this on, in Sunday's sermon. This is where Jesus is being tempted, and he says to the devil, I'm not going to be tempted to turn these rocks into bread, because the truth is man does not live by bread alone but man lives by the very words that come out of the mouth of God. A disciple abides in the word because a disciple knows that the nourishment he is created to receive comes chiefly through the word of God. And so in the same way we think about eating food to nourish our physical bodies, the disciple understands that there is no nourishment for life outside of the word of God. It simply is not possible. We will waste away spiritually starving without abiding in the word. And disciples abide in the word. All right, the last passage I want to read to you is 2 John verse 9. 2 John verse 9 says, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, he goes beyond the teaching of Christ or leaves out the teaching of Christ, that person does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the father and the son you want to know evidence of being a disciple it's those who abide in the teaching of Christ they remain there they're going to hang out there they're not going to leave it out of their lives they're going to saturate their lives with the word so disciples abide in the word of Christ if you are a disciple You live by the word you ingest the word you find life through the word because jesus has said my word is life if you're truly a disciple of mine you will abide in my word all right third thing tonight that disciple does answering the question what do disciples do third thing tonight is love other disciples A lot of time you know we have we have as one of our phrases for who we are and what we do love God love people right and I think it's easy to conclude that the scriptures that talk about loving people are talking about loving people in general but predominantly the scriptures that talk about Christians loving people are talking about Christians loving other Christians and so disciples love other disciples so let me give you a couple passages john 13 34 and 35 this is there's a bunch of stuff from first john we'll read one in first john but first john is filled with these kinds of verses but john 13 34 and 35 says a new commandment i give you that you love one another even as i have loved you speaking to his followers that you also love one another verse 35, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you catch that? He's not talking about how you love people in general. He's talking specifically how you love other disciples. Now, we don't have to point a lot of fingers or bring up a lot of history in order to be in pretty good agreement with the fact that the church is known in large part for not loving its own very well. Am I right? I mean, a lot of people outside the church look at what we do and how we do it and they wonder, why in the world do I want to be a part of that? They don't love each other. I go there and they talk about problems. They talk about this and they talk about that. People at workplace hear people in church talk about other people in church, how they're mad at them. People in the workplace hear people in church who work together and go to the same church talk about how they don't like their pastor. I have bugs in all your workplaces. I know <laughs> that that's going on. But that, those kinds of things happen. And what Jesus said is so simply, says, if, if my disciples love other disciples, the world that's watching my church will see me. Well, the inverse is true, too. When disciples don't love other disciples, we make it a lot more difficult for people to see Jesus. And we give them a ton of reasons why they don't even want to look at him. I think this is a really big deal you know one of the biggest problems that churches face I'm just gonna throw this out it's not in my notes this is free is is for a church to remain live and vibrant a church has to change you know what you know what change does it makes people offended it hurts people makes people feel marginalized less valued makes people feel more important because they're on the side right side of change Their ideas were followed. I mean, all that stuff that happens in relationship creates issues between us. And we start talking about each other and dealing with that and and this and dealing with relationships in a way that's not healthy at all. And the next thing you know, the thing that was supposed to bring life in us has separated us. It's a really grieving thing to think of how many churches were not planted but split I want blue carpet. Well, the red carpet people can go over there and have their own church. All of you know this, right? This is terrible. No wonder our world is looking at the church and driving right on by us. It's very unlikely that, that very many people in the Wilson County area will look at our building, driving by and think, they're unchurched. Alright. Drive by our building and think, man, I would love to wake up Sunday morning, the day before I have to go back to work, earlier than I normally would, dress up nice and go sit around a bunch of people I don't know and do a bunch of things I'm totally unfamiliar with and hear a message that I don't believe in. I'd love to do that. And I'm so glad somebody invited me to do that. It makes me excited. People are not gonna do that. Why? Because they have every reason in the world not to come to this place. But Jesus says if we will simply love each other right here in this place, like he loved us, that the watching world will want to see Jesus Christ a whole lot more than if we don't do that. Disciples love other disciples. That means you don't harbor grudges. You don't stay in unforgiveness. You don't hold on to anger. I suspect, I don't know this to be true, no one's come and told me this, and nobody come and tell me if it is true, but I suspect there are people in this church who've been angry with other people in this church, and both of you are confessing believers, and you've been holding on that anger for decades. I don't know why people would see Jesus here if the people who call themselves disciples here don't decide to love other disciples here this is a big deal and we need to be a people who say you know what i want to pray that the love of christ would so invade this place that not a degree of change opposition problem offense could break down the love of christ between us if nothing can overcome the love christ has for us why should anything overcome the love i have for my brother or sister in christ I mean, we need to ask the Lord that this would happen, because that's what disciples do. And if we're not a church that is so quick to forgive and so fast to love, and love pervades everything we do, then how can we call ourselves a church of disciples? We can't. This is a big deal. First John four, seven and eight is the other. other verse. Hey, are y'all feeling the weight of this along with me? Because this is heavy. This is really, really hard. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Sometimes I think we want to read that verse and say, yeah but do you know what they did to me and what what the Bible says very clearly there is disciples love other disciples if there is a single disciple in your life one who claims to follow Christ that you do not love the Bible says you do not know God so what does that mean it, it means that if you know God, He's giving you the capacity to forgive and love. But if you continue to refuse to do that, you should wonder whether or not you know God. If you hate somebody, you're unforgiving, and, and you have a broken relationship in your life right now, don't conclude, I don't love God. Because if you have conviction in your life, when I tell you what a disciple does and I read you God wor- God's Word, there's evidence that the Spirit of God is ready to change that in your life right now. And that means you can confess that as sin before him and first john 1 9 says he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness and God will lead you forward to love other disciples because that's what disciples do and if you're a disciple that's what you're made to do don't settle for less It's simply not worth it it's not worth it all right all right fourth thing that disciples do we're just gonna do four tonight The fourth thing that disciples do, I love this one. Disciples bless all other people. Disciples bless all other people. I think, you know, loving people and the way we phrased it is great. I'm not correcting that. I'm not changing that. We're not going to have a new banner waving, you know, next week. Uh, But I think the concept of loving disciples, disciples loving disciples, and disciples blessing all other people, better reflects the heart of Scripture and how we ought to live as disciples. So, are we to love people who are not disciples? Absolutely. We are to love them. But not like we love disciples. The Scripture mandates that we take care of other disciples at a far more significant level than the Scripture mandates we take care of non disciples. Does that mean that the scripture says that we should not take care of people who are not following Christ? No. We are to be a blessing to all people with the blessings that God has given us. If someone is in need and they're not a follower of Christ, we should, if we are blessed, be a blessing to them because disciples are to bless all other people. Always. Make sense? So let's read a couple scriptures on this one. Psalm 67 is just a great passage that really gives a super perspective on a a very encompassing biblical concept. Psalm 67, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7. God be gracious to us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth. Your salvation among all nations. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. The principle at play is we want God to bless us, and the good news is God wants to bless us. He wants to uniquely bless his people so that his people can be a unique blessing on the face of the earth, bringing a blessing to the world that the world will not experience any other way except through the people God has uniquely blessed. So we are to be a blessing to all people. We are to love people. You know, that's really a challenging thing for me because I'm going to be honest with you, there are times when people make me mad. And I'd like to bless them with a, you know, you ever like that? I'd like to slap some people in the name of Jesus and tell them about about the love of God, you know. But, but here's, here's the truth of it. You know, even though we have these experiences in the world in which we live that frustrate us and make us angry, we react to the real, the real concept of being a follower of Christ is that we bless everybody. If, if I'm in a bad situation that makes me mad and somebody really offends me, a disciple says, how can I be a blessing where someone who doesn't follow Christ would bring harm? How can I step forward in this in a way that reflects that I'm following somebody other than me? Because right now, I want to step in and be angry. And, and I, man, I struggle with this. Even today, I had a situation in my office. A guy comes in, he's a salesperson, he hacks me off. I'm so mad. He, 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 his boss has lied to get in the door of my office. Then when he gets in there, I'm convinced that his boss sent this kid to do this because he had already been in the office, and he'd have been recognized. So he gets in there after telling me this big old mess of a story, and I said, hold on just a second. Before you go any further, I want my assistant to come in here and tell you what I said about your boss after I got a phone with him last week. He's like, what? So I got Melissa to come there and said, you tell him what I said his boss is. She's like, look at me, are you sure you want me to say that? (laughs) I said, I want you to say it. She goes, you said that he's a liar. I said, thank you, you can go back to your office. I said, I just wanted you to realize that the moment I had a conversation with your boss, I recognized he was lying. But I gave him the benefit of the doubt. and I gave you an opportunity to come in here and you've been more than forthright in telling me, but the problem is your boss ruined the opportunity. I said, but what I'd like to do is go ahead and show you good faith. Because I know you're not the one that deceived me. You showed up here and I don't know whether or not you're playing a game and just coming here or not, but I'll listen to what you have to say and I just sat there and listened. But you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to say, get out of here and don't let the door hit you on your way out. And, And I, you know, most of the time what I do in those situations is I do the wrong thing. And I'm really convicted. When I read the Bible and I read about how God blesses His people to be a blessing to all other people, and I think about the situations in my life where I've not been in a moment where I'm keyed in to making disciples or ministering to another church member, and I just kind of let that unfold and I get perturbed and it comes out and I'm a jerk. And man, I'm convicted. Because disciples bless everybody because they've been so blessed. And man, I I want to change in that area. I want us all to be people who are a blessing to everybody, always. Acts chapter 20, verse 20 is another good passage. First one is Psalm 67, and then Acts 20. There are several passages in Acts 20. I'll just read verse 20. you but there's several in there that talk about paul's experience with the with the people in ephesus and he says i did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house so paul goes into ephesus no believers there he starts to give his life away blessing to all people then people come to faith and then he loves the disciples and he teaches them how to walk with Christ. It's an amazing picture there, and I think it it points that ultimately the, the blessing that we bring to the world uniquely as the people of God is to make disciples. That is the greatest blessing we can give our world is a passion to make disciples. If you are not seeking to make disciples, you are not following Christ. As Christ has called you to follow him it's not any more complicated than that if you're following Jesus you're going to leave a wake of Christ followers from your life that's what disciples do but I want to make something very clear what I'm talking about tonight is loving people and caring for people and blessing people and intentionally sharing the gospel with people in your life so that when God brings a person to himself you will then help them know Christ like you know Christ in such a way that they could then help somebody else know Christ that's all I'm talking about okay just Loving people and caring for people and blessing people, doing what disciples do. And when God brings somebody to himself, that's his work. He brings people to himself. We share the gospel. We tell them about it. They've got to make a decision to follow Christ. When all that happens spiritually and somebody says, I want to follow Christ, God saves them and then we have the mandate to take them and teach them how to walk with Christ in such a way that they could help somebody else know how to walk with Christ. That's all I'm talking about. And, and if we're not living our lives loving people, caring for people, blessing people, looking for the opportunities to share the gospel and actually sharing the gospel when those opportunities come and then when somebody comes to Christ saying, hey, I want to walk with you and help you know Christ like I'm getting to know Christ so that someday you can walk with somebody and help them get to know Christ just like I did for you. That, that's what it means to follow Christ and that is the greatest blessing that we can offer to this world. To be a people who make disciples. All right? Okay, I want to a- answer one more question tonight. And the, the, the final question I want to answer tonight is why disciple making? What is going on here? Why did God choose this means for the display? and the spread of the gospel. Okay, so the first reason why disciple-making is where we we landed last week. Grace. God, God is so good in that Jesus Christ came, God in the flesh, and he took a few people along with him and said, I want you to know me. So I have come to you to rescue you because you could not know me if I did not rescue you. Jesus came to rescue and he unveiled himself and revealed the Father to these followers and they saw and knew Jesus. And then Jesus said, I want you who have been with me, who know me, who know my word, who've received my spirit indwelling dwelling in you, I want you to go and tell other people about me. Think about that. Were any of those original followers of Christ good people? Were they sinless people? Were they without defect? Were they a bunch of misfits? Were they a lot like us? They were just like us. But what did Jesus do? He gave them the gracious gift of salvation by grace. that came through simply believing in him. And he said, why don't you, vessels of my grace... Go out and pour out what is retained in your life. Just be a vessel of grace who goes out and shares the grace of God because Jesus determined there was simply no better witness of his grace than one who had been transformed by his grace. And he sent people out. You you and I are not going out to make disciples because we're great representatives of perfection in our own life. We're going out because we are the best representatives of the perfection of Christ exhibited through our lives by grace. The reason you and I are perfect for making disciples is because you and I should know the gracious gift of forgiveness unlike anybody else in the world that does not know Christ. And we ought to be able to go out and tell somebody, I know what it's like to be forgiven. Can I tell you about forgiveness? I'm not going to tell you about how I'm perfect. I'm not going to tell you about how I'm good enough to go to heaven. I'm not going to tell you about how I'm God's favored person because I was really nice to my spouse and kids for the last 10 years. I'm not going to tell you about how I've done anything right. I'm going to tell you about how Jesus has done everything right and he's rescued me from everything I've done wrong. And the only right that's in me is Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm a candidate to tell you because nothing in you is good. And that's why Jesus Christ has come to rescue you like he rescued me. Why disciple-making? We're poster children of grace, every one of us. And nobody's saved outside of grace. Do you have what it takes to make disciples? If you've been saved by grace, you've got what it takes. And Jesus has already declared you're the way that the Gospels to reach the end of the earth. Because you know grace. Why disciple-making? We've experienced what it means to become a disciple. Now we just need to be disciples and tell others. Make sense? Why, why disciple-making? So let me, let me give you another answer in addition to grace. Oh, by the way, the, ver- the passage that really helps with this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through about 20. Verse 21 is really, really good too, but the concept of grace here is the idea that the love of the Lord compels us, motivates us, because we've recognized that Christ came to die for us and that his death for us reconciled us to God, with whom we were formerly enemies. And because we've experienced reconciliation, now we are begging the world to join us in this reconciliation. And so this passage calls us ambassadors for Christ, as if God were making his appeal through us. What Jesus Christ has masterfully done is he said, I am making my appeal through those who've already experienced what I'm offering. Isn't that cool? We all got something to say. We all got something to say. It's pretty exciting. Okay, the, the next um, answer to the question why disciple making um, I want to illustrate for you okay I'm reading a book right now called um, the title is uh, from uh, gaining by losing by J.D. Greer anybody else reading that book in here okay so I'm reading that book and there's a little illustration in there I want to share it with you would you rather have $10,000 a day, i got to write this down, $10,000 per day, or one cent doubled every day? If if you take number one, you'll end up with three hundred thousand dollars. You take number two, you'll end up with ten million seven hundred thousand plus and change. Here's the idea: if you were to disciple one person per year, so that he or she was a disciple maker who would make. Oh, disciples. I try. Eat the other. I'm eating. You know what's this okay. Thing, you yeah. Yeah. So this one, this one yes, is mixed. All right. yeah, master this, makes this one. Point. It's right here. Yeah. Master uh, ma- That is awesome. If, yeah, if we could figure out to do that on a Sunday morning, that would be incredible. So if 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 you guys in here, if if us in this room, if we decide to make a disciple Over the next 12 months, I'm going to help somebody know Christ in such a way that they can then help somebody know Christ. If we all made a decision to do that, and we continue to live that kind of life for 24 years, and you compare our lives and what happens through our lives with the evangelist who leads 1,000 people to Christ every day for 24 years, you know what, at the end of that time, we'll have many more disciples than they will have converts. Does anybody here think helping somebody follow Christ in such a way that they can follow Christ over a 12-month period is just too big for you to begin to think God could use you to accomplish? Listen, this is, everybody here can do this. And if we do this, we can touch the world. I, I want you to think through this for a second. Listen to this. if We have more than 100 people in here, Okay? If 100 people, 100 of you decide, I'm going to do this, and for the next year, you take somebody along and make a disciple, then the next year, there would be 200 of you who have grabbed a person, so there's 400 involved, and for that year, you'd make a disciple. Then the next year, there'd be 400 of you grabbing someone, coming along, so there's 800 involved. Then the next year, 800 people are discipling someone, and there's 1,600 people... In the fifth year, you'd have 1,600 people making disciples. Five years. Let me ask you this. Do you think a church that's full of people making disciples can touch the world? Yes, we can. We can. We can. What I need What this church needs, what this city needs, is a first-generation of disciple-makers. A group of people that say, I want to be the first-generation. I want to do this. Over the next 12 months, I want to be the first-generation people. I want to be a part of seeing a movement of God in our city for His glory. And we can understand that there's only one way God's going to do it. It's through individuals deciding, I want to make disciples. And we need a first generation of disciple makers in this place. That's your invitation. And my commitment to you is to spend the remainder of our weeks doing the best I can to equip you to follow Christ. Because that's what disciples do. We follow Christ. I want to close just by saying this tonight. I've got this handout for you. It's got several things in there you can do. You can get it online. I'm not going to spend time going through it. It's the same type stuff we did last time. There's those scripture memory verses. There's some more reading to do. I do talk a little about meditation. You know, how to meditate. Meditation is simply lingering in contemplative listening. I'm listening to God's word in such a way that I obey him because he has spoken to me. So I got a little bit on there about meditation and then some encouragement to pray. I would love for you to pray for someone you'll disciple just start praying for them you don't know who they are maybe you have an idea just start praying every day lord i want to pray for the person that you want me to help know you so that they could help somebody else know you and just start praying all right and then i got a prayer of response in there that you can uh hopefully be encouraged by um I, I want to say that there are three things that you ought to expect the grace of God to do in your life as a disciple. Let me give you these three things real quickly because the weight of what I've just given you, you need a good dose of grace right now because this is weighty. So here are the three things that the grace of God will enable you to do. One, the grace of God will enable you to start over again and again and again in your life. I like to think of the Christian life as one beginning after another. And the grace of God turns failures into new beginnings. So tomorrow, I will probably make some mistakes in my day in trying to follow Christ Christ's disciple, but the grace of God turns every one of those failures into new beginnings. The grace of God is not at work in my life when I take a failure and fail to begin again. The grace of God is active in my life when in the moment of failure I say, Lord, I am sorry and I want to begin again. The grace of God gives us one new beginning after another. All right, the second thing is that the new starting places in a disciple's life is, are always advancing. So, five years ago, I made some mistakes and I started over again. Well, guess what? Five years later, I'm still starting over again, but I'm starting over again a little bit further down the way of knowing Christ. That's the grace of God at work in me. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The grace of God instructs us to deny ungodliness. He's moving us forward. He's growing us. He's helping us change. We get to start over every single day in moments of failure, but those moments of failure are on a trajectory of following Christ becoming more and more like him. So my starting places are advancing. I'm growing. And then the last thing is that God's grace enables the disciple to encroach upon and take enemy territory for the kingdom of God. You have been given the opportunity to encroach upon the enemy's territory. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus says of Peter's confession. He says of the church. He says the gates of hell will not overpower the church as the church advances through making disciples. You know what that gives you a picture of? That that hell and all of its providences are behind this gate, and the church is charging toward the gate, and the gate cannot hold fast. We are on the offensive. We're no longer on the defense. We're no longer on the losing side. We're on the winning side, and the gates of hell must prevail against those who say, I want to follow Christ and make disciples. There is no fortress of the enemy that stands against you that can hold when you give your life to making disciples. That is the grace of God, not because we're worthy, but because God's grace is active in us for the glory of Christ and the building of his kingdom all right amen Amen. glad you're here tonight let me pray for us father thank you so much for this time pray that you would be glorified in what we've done tonight and you would stir all of our hearts to be in the first generation of disciple makers right here in our church family I pray father you to sweep through this city with your love in such a way that from this point forward Georgetown and Williamson County would look at First Baptist Church, maybe like never before, maybe more than ever before, and say those people are a blessing to our city and our community. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming.